Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Once again to uh, Elevation Mandra, it's great to have you with us in the building. As Rach said, we've got uh, a bunch of people joining us online as well, uh, which is exciting. And so today I'm continuing our series that we started last week, uh, which is called Paradox. And so uh, via definition, a paradox is a, um, it's a seemingly absurd or contradictory, sorry, let me, no, I'll just avoid trying to say that word again, no, contradictory statement or premise that when it's actually investigated, it turns out to be true. And so the paradox that we're speaking about over the month of March is the fact that Jesus, as king over everything, came to this earth as a humble servant. He laid down his life willingly on a cross as we start to you know, head towards Easter, which is the third weekend in April. We're, we're coming around this idea that Jesus was king over all, yet in this paradox, he still lays down his life as a humble servant for all. And so we're looking at this through the Gospel of Mark, which is the second book of the New Testament. Uh, like I said last week, Mark contains a lot of doing um, of Jesus, not as much of his teaching, although there is some in there as well. But um, we can discover a lot about Jesus by looking at what he did. Because Jesus wasn't one of these guys who said one thing and then acted completely differently. Uh, he, he, didn't, he doesn't have any skeletons in the closet that he's you know, worried about you know, coming out. He hasn't settled any court cases with like big money payouts just so things don't get public. No, Jesus is squeaky clean right from the get-go. You know, not only did Jesus speak truth, but in fact Jesus was truth. Not only did Jesus teach about love, but he actually embodies and is love. Jesus doesn't just show the way to peace, but the Bible says that he is actually peace. And so this first half of the book of Mark, so the first eight chapters, is all about his identity as king over all. His identity as king overall. And then the second half, so chapters 9 through to 16, is all about his purpose in laying down his life on the cross. And so, so last week we spoke from the very first chapter of Mark and we discovered that Jesus is God, a big bold claim right out front. And then we discovered through his baptism that Jesus is actually part of the, the Godhead. So this amazing uh, you know, thing that's just, just so hard for us to comprehend as human beings that God is three but one. So Father, Spirit and Son, God reveals himself in three different ways, yet he's still one God. He's not confused. He doesn't have part of him that you know, is like this and part of him that, that, that's like that. No, God is in unity and together, but he's three and one. We call, we call that the, the Trinity. So we, we understood last week that this shows us that we're called as God's people to build relationships of mutually self-giving love because that's what God is in himself. The Father doesn't lord it over the Son. It doesn't, the Son doesn't say, hey, Spirit, get out of the way here. I'm the main deal. No, no. There's this relationship within God. And because of that, that's the type of relationship everywhere we go that God has called us uh, to be. 
he, he, he's called us to move out of the center of things and to let God be our center so that we can place the spotlight on others rather than on ourselves. So that was last week, you know, fairly light week. You know, just a couple of little, little, little tips there. No, fairly challenging in terms of who we are and who God is. But today we're going to jump into uh, chapter 4 of the book of Mark. And we're going to look at the encounter that Jesus had with his disciples, that's his team, um, and the storm. And so the start of Mark 4, Jesus is teaching the people and he has just begun his public ministry. So, so he's just... Just been front and centre, right out there. So Jesus is teaching at the beginning of Mark, um, and, and, and it says that such a great crowd has gathered around where he's speaking that he has to get in a boat and speak from there so that everyone can you know, gather around and, and hear him. So, so, so this ministry, the, if, if you're an older person like me, let me teach you a young person's term for a second. So his ministry is blowing up. Okay, that doesn't mean it's an explosion. If you're an older person, you're like blowing up. No, no, it's just it's a young person term. Okay, I'm not that anymore, but you know I have a few, so so they help me just to stay relevant, right? So, but Jesus' ministry is just is just blowing up all all over the place here. This is the first century equivalent of Jesus had some shows at RAC Arena. They sold out, and now he's moving to Optus Stadium. He's like, come on, let's get this thing, let's get this thing going, right? This popularity has just increased, but. Not only is Jesus' popularity growing and he's teaching powerfully, then for his disciples, that's the, the, the core people that he's journeying with each and every day, Jesus is actually giving them a behind-the-scenes look and explanation of everything that he's been speaking about. And so this is important to understand because it's into this context, into this scenario that the next event happens, and this is Mark chapter 4 from verse 35. You can, if you've got your Bible, you can look at it there, or Bible on your phone, or it'll be on the screen behind me. It says this, That day when evening came, he, which is Jesus, said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. I love that little detail there. You know, he brought himself a little cushion, get, you know, nice and, nice and comfy. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care if we drown? Now, this scene here, this lake, is actually known as the Sea of Galilee. And it sits about 200 um, metres below sea level. And then geographically, just sort of 45 kilometres to the north, is a mountain which is called Mount Hermon, which is nearly 3,000 metres high. So what would happen, I'm not a uh, weather forecaster, but I can read you know, people that are smart about these things. But what would happen is the cold air uh, coming up from the sea uh, clashes with the... Sorry, the cold air from the mountains, obviously, I don't understand it. No, let me just read it. The cold air from the mountain, mountains clashes with the warm air coming up from the sea. And quite regularly, it would uh, produce fairly impressive uh, thunderstorms and squalls. And so a lot of Jesus' disciples actually had a background in fishing. It wasn't just like a weekend angler chucking a lure in every now and then. They were actually professional fishermen. And so obviously this storm 
was so big that it freaked them out. This wasn't, wasn't something that was usual. This was, this was intense. This was big. And so, so much so that they woke Jesus saying, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care if we drown? Ha- have you ever shouted something like that at God before? I, I, I know I have. Don't you care, God, that I'm under all this pressure at work? Like, God, don't you care that my family seems to be like falling apart at the seams right now? Don't you care that I've you know, lost direction, that I don't know where I'm going? Like, like, like God, don't, don't you care about my health, God? Don't you care about my finances? Don't you care about my business, about my relationships? You see, the disciples reach this breaking point and they cry out to a sleeping Jesus in the boat. This is his response from verse 39. He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, there's obviously a few amazing things going on right here in this passage. The first is the way that Jesus responds to this storm. He simply speaks to it. He just says, quiet, be still. It was just his word that had authority over the wind, over the sea, and over the rain. And Jesus doesn't have to like, conjure up any you know, magical spells or say the right words to make sure the weather obeys him. He's not like a character from like a Marvel movie, you know, like battling to the death you know, right at the end and just making, you know, just making it through. He doesn't even pray to the Father saying, Father God, can you, can you please just you know, you know, help me out here? Can you, can, you, can you please make a difference? No, he just simply speaks like you might speak to a misbehaving child and says, quiet, be still. And then the wind and the waves and the storm obey Jesus like a compliant child that we all pray for uh, and says, completely calm, completely calm, completely calm. You see, Mark is showing us that Jesus has all authority, all power over nature. You see, the sea, particularly in ancient cultures, was always thought of as a always thought of as an element that could never be tamed by man. It would take a God to have power over the almighty sea. So that's the first amazing thing that happens. The second thing is this, is that, is that Jesus rebukes the disciples. His response to them after calming the sea, as we read before, is this, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? That question, do you still have no faith, could also be translated, where, where's, where's your faith? Where, where, where are you putting it? Where's your, where's your trust? So maybe if you think a little bit like me, you read through this and ask yourself, you're like, okay, Jesus, are you just being a little bit like tough on your guys right here? Like, isn't, isn't this a bit, a bit hardcore for your team? I mean, really, like they're following you. They're following the call of God on their lives. You know, they've worked hard with you during the day as, you know, as you're preaching. I mean, I'm not quite sure what the disciples do uh, while Jesus is preaching. You know, do they just sit on the front row and shout like, amen, preach it, Jesus, you know, son of God. Or, you know, is one of them on media just like quickly, you know, typing up all the scriptures as in they're like, oh, I didn't tell us he was referencing Isaiah. And they're looking, you know, they got the scroll out because there's no chapters and verses. They're trying to, trying to find like, what do the disciples do? Is Peter at the back on 
security with one of those like secret service earpieces in. He's like, okay, crowd's over a thousand now. Are we still in our two square meter rule? Oh, I don't know. We're outside. Doesn't matter. Anyway, and you know, keep on. That was a joke. They keep it on going. You know what? What? Whatever's happening. I don't know what the disciples do, but they've worked hard with Jesus. Whatever the job descriptions are, the disciples were following Jesus. They're on, the, they're on the right path, but they've hit a storm. Obviously, you would think they've tried as professional fishermen to get through the storm, but they can't do it, and they cry out to Jesus' help. On the surface, to me, it doesn't seem like there's too much wrong with this scenario. You know, following Jesus, hit a bump in the road that we can't get through, cry out to him for help. So why did Jesus reprimand them? Why, did, why does he have a shot at them and, and ask them, where is your faith? I think the key is found in the question that they ask Jesus when they wake him. And it's not, hey, Jesus, will you help us out here? They say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? You see, the disciples doubted Jesus' care and therefore his love for them. They thought that the presence of a storm meant that Jesus had removed his care, had removed his hand, and had removed uh, his love for them. They viewed God through this, this framework that uh, circumstances and situations should always go my way, that God should always make things easy for me. Otherwise, obviously, he doesn't love me and care for me. Whew, I'm so glad we never think like that. I'm so glad I never, I never think like that. Author and pastor Tim Keller says this. I'll read it to you because it's great. He says, if the disciples had really known that Jesus loved them, if they had really understood that he's both powerful and loving, they would not have been scared. Their premise that if Jesus loved them, he wouldn't let bad things happen to them was wrong. He can love somebody and still let bad things happen to them because he is God, because he knows better than they do. Incredible. Sounds tough to take when we're in the middle of the storm, but incredible. You see, if you believe in a God who has enough greatness and enough power in him that you can get mad at him when trouble comes and he doesn't stop it. So, so if you're mad at God because the storms come and he's not making a difference, that ultimately means that you believe God has the power to make a difference. Does, it, does, it, does that make sense? You, you believe that, but... If you believe in a God who has enough power and enough greatness that you get mad at him when trouble comes, then you also have to believe in a God who is great enough and powerful enough to have reasons that we can never understand for why the storm is taking place. You see, let's rethink the scenario of the disciples. If Jesus is who he says he is, that God, part of this trinity, that always has been, that always will be, that created and formed the world, then Jesus knew ahead of time that the storm was coming. Yeah. He could have made sure it never happened. Uh, he could have taken the disciples across the water, you know, the next day. Hey, guys, we're just going to, you know, chill out on the beach here. I know there's a storm coming. Once it blows through, you know, then we're, then we're, then we're out of here. Uh, maybe he could have taken some form of, you know, different route along the water to make sure they avoided the storm. But Jesus takes them through the storm to show his greatness, to show his power, and to teach them that his love and his care is not connected to the challenges 
that they face. He loves them and cares for them no matter what the storm brings. So what, is, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for, you know, Elevation Mandra, whatever, what is it, March 13th, didn't know the date for a second, 2022, you know, what, what does this mean for us right here? What can we take away from this scene? Well, the first thing that I want to bring your attention to, number one is this, is that we are not surprised by storms. We, we've got to read this and then we've got to go, okay, when storms come, there's, there's, not, there's not a surprising thing. The disciples were following Jesus, as I said. They, were go, they weren't going wayward on their own. They were right where they were supposed to be, and yet they were right in the middle of the storm. Jesus says in another gospel in John 16, verse 33, he says, in this world, wait for it, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus didn't wake up in the boat and go, oh my gosh, like what's, what, what's going on? I'm so, I'm so surprised, but what? There's water and you got buckets and you're trying to get it out. Like I've got, whoa, I didn't see this coming at all. No, no, Jesus is not surprised by storms. He's not surprised by challenges that come and therefore neither should we. Now this doesn't mean that we don't you know, walk in wisdom and understanding and do stupid things and say, you know what, it just must be a storm. You know, we still pay for insurance. You know, we still do all the wise things. You know, sometimes we think, oh, I'm going through this financial storm and this is, this is all happening to me, but maybe it's because you overspent on your credit card and you're after pay. And now it's all come crashing down. Maybe you lived beyond your means for too long and then it's all, and then it's all falling apart. And so we don't blame God for that. When it's our own fault, it doesn't mean that God can't help us. We just come humbly before Him and we say, God, I, I repent. I'm sorry. I haven't been living your way. I'm going to change my living habits. I'm going to, if it's a finance one, I'm going to change my spending habits. God, I can't believe, you know, me and my, my wife, we, we just don't connect. Well, that's because you have boys' night every single night of the week and, you, and, you, and you're never home. That's not a storm. Well, it is a storm, but we've created it. And so what we do is we come humbly before God and say, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I'm going to change, I'm going to make a difference. But, what we, so, but we're not surprised when the storms come. Number two is this, is we focus on the object of our faith, not the strength of our faith. This, this may sound a little bit strange when you hear it at first, but often we're trying to conjure up in our own strength, this, this great faith in God. But when we do that, we're actually focusing on ourselves and we're focusing on our own abilities. Where we should put our focus is the object of our faith, that's Jesus, not the strength of belief that we can have ourselves. When Jesus is asking that question, where is your faith? He's prompting them to look at where they are directing their attention. So imagine this for a moment. Imagine you're falling off a cliff and sticking out of a cliff is a branch. This branch is strong enough to hold you, but you're not quite sure, you're not actually quite sure how strong it is. As you fall, you have enough time to grab the branch. So the question is, how much faith do you need in that branch to save you? Do you need total faith? Do you need 100%? Do you need to be sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that the branch will save you before, before you stick your hand out and grab on it? Why? Why? Why, would you, why would you need that? The answer is you don't because it's not about the quality of your faith that saves you. It's about the quality of the object of your faith. 
It doesn't matter how you feel about the branch. It just matters about the branch itself. And so often we think that it matters so much about what we think about Jesus. And so obviously we want to grow in our knowledge and our understanding of who Jesus is. But, but maybe you're here and you're like, I'm just not sure if he's got the power. I'm just not sure if he'll save me. I'm not 100% there yet, so I don't know what to do. Can I encourage you just reach out and grab the branch? Because I can tell you there is enough saving power in Jesus Christ for you. There's enough saving power for that storm that you're walking through right now, for Jesus to, to step up and to speak to it. There's enough saving power in Jesus Christ. Whether we think it or not, does not determine it. It's who God is. That's who he is. As we wrap up this morning, maybe the band can come and join me. When you feel like you don't have faith, just continue to place your attention on the object of your faith, and that's Jesus Christ. When you don't think you've got enough inside yourself to trust Jesus, that's okay. Just go to him, pray, and declare like, uh, the scripture that, that Rach shared uh, before, you would think we coordinate stuff, but we don't. <laughs> Just the Holy Spirit does. We fix our eyes on Him. We fix our eyes on God. You allow the Holy Spirit to come and fill you with faith, with faith sorry, and focus on Jesus. Like our theme for this year as a church, which is influence and has this scripture that goes with Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, where it says, it's not by might, it's not my power, but it's by my spirit, declares the Lord. It's by my spirit, declares the Lord. So we're not surprised by storms. We make sure that we focus our attention um, on the object of our faith, not the strength of our faith. And the third one is this, is that the storm outside often reveals the storm within. They, they shout, teacher, don't you care that we're drowning? That was, the, that was the cry of the disciples. Don't you care about us? As the boat's taking on water, it's actually revealing that inside the disciples' hearts, there's some areas of trust in God that still need to be built. That still need to be built. Storms are such a great opportunity for us to grow if we let them reveal what's on the inside of our hearts. I'm not sure about you, but I consistently find this in my life. And it's not just in the big challenges, or it's not just in the great things, but it's even in the uncertainties, even in the tiredness, even in the each and every single day. One of my regular prayers is, Jesus, why is this situation? Why is this person? Why is this circumstance that's happening? Why is it causing me to act like this? Why is it causing me to think like this? Why am I responding like this to, to this storm? What is in me, God, that you're trying to work, that you're trying to change, that you're trying to bring your spirit to so that I can live and walk out my faith with you in an even greater way? Our prayer life when we're facing the storms should not just be help Jesus, get me out of this, but also Jesus, would you help me grow? Would you transform me and change me into your image. Maybe you're in a storm right now. Maybe, maybe you're facing a situation right now. Can I ask you, what's being revealed in your storm? 
It's okay. We all have these areas of growth. We all have these, these things that God wants to come in and change us on the inside. But, but what, what are some things that God is revealing to you? As we face, I don't know what storm you're facing right now. Maybe, maybe you're not. Maybe it's smooth sailing for you. But let's remember we're not going to be surprised when a storm comes. I'm not prophesying it. I'm not saying bad things are about to happen to you or anything like that. But what I'm saying is from the Word of God, we can understand that we're not surprised by storms. But, but what's, what's God revealing in you? What's the outside storm revealing about the inside storm of the heart? What's it revealing in your life? Come on this morning, would you bow your head and pray? Jesus, we thank you right now. We thank you right now, God, for your incredible power and purpose, Lord. We thank you right now that we're not surprised by storms when they come, but God, we honour you. We honour you as the object of our faith. And God, we understand that a storm outside often reveals a storm within. And you know, even this morning right now, as I was preparing this, I, I feel there's some people here and, you know, I get it because, you know, probably most of us are, you know, like the rest of us, as they say. But I feel there's some people here and you are so worried and fearful and scared about going into isolation as a, as a close contact. And I get that. Frustrating. All those, all those things. But I just feel... God wanting to speak to some people and say, what could, what could I do in your life in seven days? What could I do in your family in seven days confined to your home? You're like, oh, you don't know my kids. It'd be crazy. It'd be nuts. It'd be. But, but, but can I ask, as we, as we face whatever storm we're facing, what could God do in your life? Surely He's greater than any circumstance we face. Surely He can use anything like the Bible says in Romans 8.28 that he, that he causes all things to work for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purposes. And once again, it doesn't mean we're unwise or anything like that, but I just feel like God wants to speak to a few people here and He wants to say, hey, don't be fearful. I'm in control. Whatever comes, I can work it for good if you would allow me to let the storm outside reveal the storm within. If you would place it before the cross, if you would bring it to me. And so this morning, God, I thank you right now for every single person here. I pray, Lord God, your protection over their lives, God. I pray that you are, you are doing something on the inside of their hearts. I thank you, Lord, that they would know that you are with them that no matter what they face, that doesn't change your care, doesn't change your love, doesn't change your grace towards them. And so this morning, we thank you right now. Just as we're still praying and heads about and eyes are closed, maybe you're here and you've, 